This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Praise God. All right, well, let's get right into it. So here is the title of our message, uh, our series, Jesus, Our Refuge. And this is part three. And part three, we've subtitled The Hidden Message of the Cities of Refuge. And that's what we're going to look at today. Everything in the Bible, as you know, the Old Testament, you often hear this and I've said this, the Old Testament is the new covenant concealed or hidden. The New Testament, or the New Covenant at least, is the Old Covenant revealed or displayed, made clear to us. And so because of that, much of what we see in the Old Testament are types and shadows of the real that we have in the New Covenant, specifically in Jesus. And when it comes to these cities of refuge, it is no different. Every single city has a revealing message, a hidden message, if you will, about Jesus and redemption in Jesus. And together, those cities have one global message about Jesus, about the new covenant and redemption in Jesus. It is so powerful. Remember that these cities of refuge were places that God himself told the children of Israel. He told Moses, he gave the instructions to Moses. Once Moses died, you know, Joshua took over from him and God said to Joshua, when they conquered the promised land and as they began to take possession of it and it was distributed to the tribes of Israel, God said to Joshua, right in the very beginning, once the allocations were made, he said, remember the cities of refuge. And he reminded him of the specific instructions he gave to Moses, where exactly they were to be what they were to be called, and what their purpose was. Now, as you know, these cities of refuge <clears throat> were places, cities, that were fortified, but the gates were never locked. They were run by the, by the Levites, the priests. And so, they were, those cities were there specifically for those who accidentally caused someone else's death. In other words, accidental homicide. It wasn't for those for murderers. It wasn't for criminals. It wasn't for those who had intentionally killed someone. No, this wasn't for those who intentionally sinned. This was for those who had unintentionally sinned by causing the death of someone or killing someone. And so they would run for refuge. Now, I don't want to go through part one and part two because we've discovered all the details specific about that. So if you miss those, I encourage you to go back to those. But God gave the whole design so that someone who had accidentally killed someone or caused the death of someone, you know, according to the law, the family relatives, the next, you know, the next of kin had to basically put that person to death. So they would chase them. They would be the Avengers. And so they would come after that person. And so that's why God provided a city for these people to find refuge in. And the beautiful picture of that is, is that once they got there, they were taken in. That's why the gates were never locked. And so once they were in there, they were given fair trial. And once it was determined that it was accidental, then they were allowed to stay there and they received provision. They were taken care of. They were given safety, protection, and they enjoyed everything that the priests really enjoyed because they lived with them. So they enjoyed the best of the land. They enjoyed the study of the scriptures. They enjoyed, you know, worship of God. What a beautiful environment. 
And all of that is a type of us in Jesus. Now, I showed you last week how we ourselves are accidental murderers, if you will, accidental killers. Why? Because we broke God's law, number one. And by breaking God's law, we are guilty and should be put to death. And so we have the avenger of the law who chases after us to destroy us. Then also, because of our sin and sinfulness, we caused the death of Jesus. Now, yeah, it may have been the Roman soldiers that actually did the actual deed, but it was because of us, as you know. And so I showed you last week how we were guilty of those two things. And this is why in Hebrews, the author says, we have fled to him for refuge. We are just as guilty as them. That's why we need a place of refuge, Jesus. Amen. So I don't want to recover everything that we've studied and we've looked at. And so having said all of that, now another beautiful thing about these cities of refuge in the Old Testament, as I've shown you in the maps, and I've explained it, that within half a day's journey, anyone, anywhere in the promised land could reach a city of refuge. But not just that. These cities were always built high, on high ground, on mountainous regions, and they were built out of limestone. So you could always, they would, you know, reflect the sunlight, they would reflect the moonlight, and at night they would retain some of the sunlight and glow in the, in, you know, at night. So they were always visible. The roads were wider than usual. There were signs all over the place, you know, saying refuge. So this was God's design to show you and I how and what it means to have refuge in Jesus, because we do have refuge in Him. And today you're going to see something phenomenal that is going to bless you. Praise God. Amen. And so <clears throat> let's have a look at um, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 from the Amplified. Now this is referring to the covenant promise that God made to Abraham. And so this is the author of Hebrews who's writing this to a Hebrew community living outside of Israel who had received salvation in Jesus, most of them anyway. And they had good understanding of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament. They understood types and shadows. And this is why he mentions, you know, fled to him for refuge. When he said that, they immediately had a picture in their minds. They knew exactly what that meant. And so they would comprehend the gospel truth about finding refuge in Jesus. So let's have a look at that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. It says, in the same way, it, in his desire to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable nature of his purpose, intervened and guaranteed it with an oath. So in the same way God promised Abraham, he's promised us, is what it's saying. So that by two unchangeable things, that is his promise and his oath. So God didn't have to promise us anything. He didn't have to make an oath that he will keep it, but he did it for us, Right. Then it says, in which it is impossible for God to lie. In other words, you have absolutely no reason to lie. And to make sure you believe Him, God not only made you a promise that you'll have redemption in Jesus, and in this case, refuge in Jesus, as you're about to see. He says, but also He made a vow, He made an oath that it will be so. So it is all based on God's promise and God's oath, not on our doing, our performing, our deserving, or our earning. Then He says, yeah, I forgot to lie. Watch this. We, so that's believers. Why? Because we are guilty. <laughs> we need refuge. We who have fled. Notice past tense, meaning that when you receive salvation in Jesus, you flee into Jesus for refuge. Who have fled to Him. That's Jesus. So not a city. In the new covenant, it is Jesus. No longer a city who is our refuge. Then it says, for refuge. Would have strong encouragement 
and indwelling strength to hold tightly to the hope set before us. So because we have refuge in Jesus, you and I can have strong encouragement and indwelling strength in the knowing that the hope we have in redemption in Jesus is solid, it's tight, it is strong. Amen. It is unchangeable. So the whole thing is to encourage us that we have something greater than those who had it in the Old Covenant. But the Old Covenant was a type and shadow of what we have today in Jesus. So no longer do we run to a city for refuge. We run to Jesus for refuge. And we find it and we can be safe, secure. We know that we are certain in there. Amen. Praise God. Praise God for that. And so, you know, as I said to you, these Hebrews who heard that in this letter, who have fled to him for refuge, immediately they understood what that meant because they knew what it meant, you know, in the old covenant and under the, you know, under the law, in essence, when they had the promised land. And so praise God for that. Now, these cities of refuge have a powerful hidden message. Every single one of them build on each other. And so you'll see on the map, if you have a look at it, it starts, you know, it starts with uh, Kadesh. And then it goes down and it comes around on the other side of the Jordan. And so it's almost like a circle like that. And so each one has its own hidden message. And then when you put those hidden messages together, they all have one global message. Why? Because they're a type of Jesus. They basically are describing Jesus. So when God gave the names and told them where to put it, and what to call it, and where it is to be, and every word that he used to describe it. It was all part of that hidden message. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with some books that came a while ago, and, you know, they, they got uh, attacked like everything else, and I'm not going to express my opinion on that. <clears throat> I have one of them. I've read one of them. I personally found it fruitful, interesting, and it seemed to have good doctrine in it, and accurate um, study and exegesis and so forth. But like any human, you know, there are things that we can question. And so, but you remember there were books called the Bible Code. And I think there were two or three different editions that came out. But the whole idea of the author, the person who wrote those books, was is that what they found is taking the original language, for example, let's say the Hebrew. When they took the original language, studying each word, there was more that described the gospel. And then they did with a computer... What they did is they, take, they took every second word and there was a message there. Then they took every third word and there was another message there. So what they did is they discovered that scripture has multi-dimensions, has several dimensions of truth within it. So if you skip every five words, you'll still get a message from the original language. And so, you know, that's the wisdom of God that there's so much for us to see in there. And of course, some people took, took it to a crazy level and made it say that this person is evil and that person's the Antichrist. Like anything, it got abused. And unfortunately, that's what discredited something legitimate, something genuine. But the point is that I, the reason why I'm mentioning that is because that's what you're going to see here. You're going to see dimensions of revelation. And you'll see, I'm going to share with you what I have studied, what I've drawn from my study. It may sound at first like I'm taking... Uh, liberty in the interpretation, but I assure you I, I'm not. I've studied and looked at every single word in detail, and the, it is so rich. It is so multidimensional. You can spend so much time on that. But anyway, so <clears throat> this is what you're going to see here. But let's read our portion first, 
and then we'll get into it. Now, let me just tell you ahead of time, the portion we're about to read, every single phrase that is in the, in the original has a specific meaning and it's part of the hidden message. So in actual fact, the two verses we're about to read now, we are going to look at every single phrase, every single word in the original. And I'm going to show you how it all brings out the next dimension, the next, uh, I don't want to call it level because you know, they're not level, but the next dimension of truth. All right, let's read it and then we'll get into it. So here it is, Joshua 20 verse 7 and 8 from the King James. And they appointed, this is talking about the cities of refuge, by the way, this is just purely to do with the cities of refuge. And they appointed Kadesh in, the, in Galilee, watch what it says next, in the mount. So notice, a higher place of ground. Naphtali and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, there it is again, on high ground. And Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, watch this, in the mountain of Judah. So once more, high ground. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness, watch this, upon the plain. The original word says plateau. What is a plateau? It's an area of relatively higher ground than the rest of, around it. So again, it's high ground. Gilead, uh, sorry, what did I say? Yeah, plain. Out of the tribe of Reuben, watch this, and Ramoth in Gilead. Now, Gilead is known to be a mountainous region. So again, it's high ground. Out of the tribe of Gad. And Golan, or Golan, in Bashan. And by the way, if you look up the meaning of the word Bashan, and you look at where it was and what it looked like, it is also a region of high ground. Out of the tribe of Manasseh. All right, so there you see the six names of the six cities of refuge, namely Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan, and they're all on high ground. We've already covered that, so I just wanted to show you that as an extra. Now, we're going to look at the original language of each word or each phrase in that portion, and you'll see where, it, where it's available. And we are going to look at the original pictographs. Now remember, the original, original Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, if you will, were literally just pictures that determined a word or a phrase. And they had several meanings. They had a primary meaning, but they could be understood other ways. This is why sometimes things are translated differently in Scripture. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the ancient Hebrew and the pictographs that were used to write that portion. Where available? Where it's not available, we're going to look at it from a different resource to help us understand still the original meaning. Okay, so pay really close attention. Now, <clears throat> the two sources that we are going to use today are as follows. We're going to use the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible, which has the pictographs, the original ancient Hebrew pictographs included. Okay. Then, where that's not available for specific words or phrases that we see, we are going to use the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew Lexicon. So these are legitimate sources. It's not me coming up with anything. It is legitimate sources that have been studied. Much time has been put in it. They, have been, they are credible sources. And so you can count on what we're going to draw 
from those. Okay, so remember, pay close attention. Now, <clears throat> what I'm going to do in a moment is I'm going to show you a slide of these Hebrew pictographs. Um, and the only reason why I'm doing that is just to show you. So don't pay, you know, don't, don't get too caught, caught up in that because we'll get into the detail. But I want to show it to you so that you can pursue it at your own time. Okay, so let's have a look at the first one. All right, so there you see a table of the ancient pictographs. Now let me just explain real quick right there. I know that normally in our English language we read from top to bottom, left to right. As you know, it's different in the Hebrew. It's from right to left and so you can see it right there. Now at the very top you'll see, for example, on the top right, you'll see there is a number one right there, which is a reference to that pictograph. And you'll see the very first thing on top is the modern Hebrew uh, pictograph, if you will, or how it's written in modern Hebrew. And in our English we would say the word Aleph. Okay. Now below that word Aleph, you'll see there's the ancient Hebrew pictograph, which is basically the head of a bull. That's what it looks like with the horns. Can you see it? All right. And below that, it shows you how it can be translated. It can be translated as ox, strength, or leader. Now the bottom meaning is generally the one that is primarily used, but it can be translated the other way and other ways too, by the way. And so I'm just giving you the core of what you see here. All right, so there you see the Hebrew letters written in the modern Hebrew, how we say it in English, how they, what they looked like in the ancient Hebrew, the pictographs, and then the meaning of how it's used, three different meanings. It's, it's a lot more, but the three primary and the bottom one being the most common one and how it's used. Okay, so, all right, so let's move on from that. Now <clears throat> that you've seen that, what I want to do now is I want to show you just an example, which leads into our first uh, phrase that we're going to study. But I want to show you just an example of how we can draw meanings from the original pictographs. Okay, so now I'm going to show you specific ones. Now the quality of the graphics is not the best. It's the best we could do. But it, you'll, you'll get the gist of it, okay? So let's have a look at the first one. For example, here you have number 300. And you'll see that's the modern Hebrew, right on top how you write it in modern Hebrew. And it's the word shin or shin. And there below that is the ancient pictograph, which is really a picture of the front teeth. If you have a look at that, you can look at the blank spots between the lines. It looks like the front teeth. That's exactly what it's supposed to depict. So it means teeth. It also means press, destroy, because that's what we do with our teeth. We crush and press and destroy. We break down our food. But also it is primarily used to, de to describe separate. So in the ancient Hebrew, in the pictographs, whenever you saw this picture, this pictograph of the teeth, you would know, okay, this means separate more than likely, depending on the context and the structure of the sentence. Okay, now, so that's one. And then here's the next one. This is now Dalet. And look at the pictograph below Dalet. Okay. And it basically is a door. It means door, move, or entrance. All right. Now here's the next one that I want to show you. It is Kof. I hope I'm pronouncing these right. I may need to a little more. Kof. I don't know. But anyway, so there's the pictograph right there. You can see it looks like a little circle with a line going through it. And what it means is it means sun, it means behind time. 
So it includes all of those meanings there. Okay. And then here's the next one. For example, there's Tav. And interesting, look at that. The pictograph, the ancient pictograph, is a cross. And it means cross, a mark, a sign. It also means covenant. It's so powerful. I'm getting goosebumps just sharing this with you because I'm so excited about it. Here's the next one. It's the word Aleph, the very first one. Remember, it's the picture of the head of an ox. And it means ox strength or leader. Okay. So now, looking at those, and I've shown you, if you look at the original meaning and you take the first, the primary meaning that is used, if you saw those pictographs together, and I don't have a slide for it, but if you saw them together, this is what you would derive if you were an ancient Hebrew reader and understood these pictographs. This is what you would read in that sentence if those pictographs were together, put together, the ones I've just shown you. You would say, separate door time covenant leader in other words there's a leader that came on the scene that made a separation in time and closed the door behind time of time and open a new way of time for the rest of us sounds awesome doesn't it that's exactly what it's conveying so it's pretty powerful how all of this conveys some such awesome things now so having shown you that example, and that's applicable to our very first one, first sentence here, now that we have a clear understanding, let's go and have a look at every single word and phrase in the portion we've just read to draw the meaning of these cities of refuge. So the first city that is described is Kadesh, remember? So now, here comes the first slide. Please stay with me. Please make sure you understand what I'm about to explain. Okay, so in the top section, you'll see there's a dotted line that goes across. Two dotted lines, right? In the top part of the do first dotted line, you'll see on the left side, I have the English translation. How it's been translated as we read it from the King James in our text. In the top right is the actual Hebrew, but put in a way that we can understand it. Kadash Eth, for example. You see that? Alright. Now, in the middle section between the dotted lines is the resource, the ancient Hebrew lexicon of the Bible. Where it's not available, it'll say Brown Driver Briggs. Okay, lexicon, Hebrew lexicon. So that's what that is. And there's the pictographs that are used, that are found in the original writings, the original text. Okay. And then next to it, I've drawn the meaning that is applicable in context to what we're studying here today. It is all in those resources. Okay. This is very extensive. There's pages and pages for everything to explain everything. But I've drawn what is necessary for us here. And so there you see the meaning of each pictograph or the pictographs put together. Because you know, for example, I've just shown you each pictograph. For example, if you look at the first one there, it's teeth, right? And it means separate. But obviously you understand that when you put pictographs together, you are putting a sentence together. It would be like me showing you a picture of an ox and then showing you a different picture of a wagon. Well, if I just showed you the ox, you could think of anything. You could think of plowing. You can think of the animal itself and how big it is and how it could be used. And then when you look at the picture of a wagon separately, you'll think, okay, that's a traveling vehicle, but we need an animal to pull it. But, you know, it's ancient. It doesn't have an engine. But then if you put them together, you have ox wagon. In other words, now you understand I'm going to travel with an animal pulling my vehicle and I'm going to get there. So it gives you a different picture. This is the same. 
Each pictograph means something, but when you put them together, you construct a sentence. And so that's what's happening here. Okay, and that's what it means when it's constructed together on the right-hand side of that middle section. Then below the second dotted line is what I have called the contextual interpretation. In other words, looking at the context of what the writer said before and after, and the whole Bible and the message of the Bible, this is what we can draw from that meaning, which ends up giving us the hidden message of the series of refuge and the meaning. Okay, so I need to spend time explaining that because we're going to see several of these. So I need to make sure that you understand that. Let's put that word back on. All right, so here we go. So here's the first part as we begin to read. It says, remember it said on the top left, and they appointed, and then below that you see the pictographs. Okay, so there's five of them. And here's what the first set means. The first three together is one sentence now. And that's what it means. You'll see that on the right there, set apart from the rest for a special function. So when you put those three pictographs together, that's the meaning that you draw from. That's what it means. And then the second pictograph, which is the cross and the ox head, look at that. Put together, it means the traveling toward a mark, destination or person. And remember, it also means covenant, right? See, this is why I said to you, I can't put everything in here because we won't have space on the screen. But we need to look at the context. And so put together these pictographs in that first portion that said, and they appointed. In context, we can translate it this way, or we can see it to mean this way. Set apart to redeem them. Because that's in essence what this is saying. The teeth means separate, set apart. The door means, as you know, time or cutting of time. Set apart, and then, of course, from the rest is the circle and the line. And then the cross is covenant, or the cross itself. And the bull represents Jesus, the leader. So, set apart to redeem them. Okay, let's move on from that. I trust that this is all making sense. If it doesn't, please rewatch it when it's available on our website, because I promise you it's absolutely awesome. I said to you, this is going to be a little harder than usual. And we don't normally do this on a Sunday. We try and keep it just, you know so that we don't have to work extra hard but you this is well worth it you're going to be glad all right so the first part in context is, is saying set apart to redeem them let's have a look at the next word in the text that we read in hebrews in joshua at least all right then it says kadesh and from the brown driver briggs it means holy place so kadesh means holy place and in context then we can say it is the Holy One because it's referring to Jesus. Remember, we just saw the pictograph. We know that it's talking about Jesus going to the cross. And so the Holy One. All right. Are you with me? So let's go on to the next phrase of our text. In Galilee. Remember, this is describing Kadesh, the city of refuge of Kadesh. And according to the Brown Driver Briggs, it means a circuit of towns. So in context, we would say, from among them. Because remember the context of what he's talking about. So he is drawn as the Holy One from among them because he came to earth to be one of us. Now, if for any reason you think I'm taking free license here, it's going to make absolute sense in a moment. And if you look at the originals, you'll see in the context because this is the key. We mustn't lose the context. All right. So from among them. And then the next one in Mount. And there's the pictograph available in the ancient Hebrew lexicon. And you'll see that it's uh, a head and someone with their hands up. 
And this is what it means from the, from the original, a representation of a head. In Hebrew thought, watch this, all things are in motion. That's what combined what it means. A mountain or hill is not inanimate, but the head of the landscape rising up out of the ground. In other words, it is talking about a mountain that's part of the ground, but rising up. And then you see someone raising their hands. So really, in context, you could say that what this is saying to us is rising as their head. That's what we draw from this in context. Okay, let's go to the next one. Naftali, which means wrestling. So in context, we could say with wrestling. All right, let's go to the next one. I'm going to put all this together for you in a moment, okay? So that was the first city of refuge. Now here comes the next city of refuge. And Shechem, which means back or shoulder or both. And in context, we can say with the cross on his back and shoulder, because that's the first pictograph it showed us, right? Remember the cross? So in context, you can correctly put this this way. But you please, I encourage you to go and verify and check this out. You'll see that it's, <laughs> I spent a lot of hours on this to show you. So I'm not sucking this out of my thumb. It's really stuff that it's saying. All right, so Shechem, let's go have a look at the next one. Shechem, in Mount, and that again is the same picture we saw earlier. Now, from this, in context, you draw the other meaning that it has, which is talking about, you know, when things are set in motion, just like a mountaintop doesn't move around, but it's part of the land, but it always sticks out. What it means is it is set in motion. And so, looking at the context, we can say it's saying their redemption set, because it's talking about our redemption. Remember, he's got the cross on his back and on his shoulder. Okay, so their redemption set. Then, next one, Ephraim, and in the, uh, what it means is, I shall be doubly fruitful. Or another way it can be translated is, I will succeed. But more than succeed, I will be more than successful. You can put it that way. So in context, we could say, to succeed. Okay, then the next one. Now this is describing Hebron. In Kirjath Arba, it says, and according to the Brown Rubber Briggs, it means the early name of the city, which after the conquest was called Hebron. So the reason why it's called Hebron is because it was after the conquest. So the focus is on conquest here. And so in context, we can interpret it to say after his conquest. Okay. Then, still talking about Hebron, it says which... And this is the pictograph for which. Can you believe it? I mean, in English, we think, okay, which means which. But in the ancient, it means something different. Notice it's got the oxide and someone with their hands raised. And what that combined, what that pictograph means, is it represents one who is looking at a great sight with his hands raised as when saying, behold. In other words, praise. So in context, we can say that that phrase is saying, we will behold him with praise. Behold Jesus with praise, right? Okay, I'm carrying on. Is in is Hebron, which means association or relationship or friendship, okay? And in context, then we can say that this is saying for 
our restored relationship with God. And if you look at this and look at all the details, it's, it's accurate, I assure you. Okay, so there it is. Now, let's have a look at the next one. In the mountain, and there again is a pictograph we're familiar with, but now it's, it's drawing one of the other meanings of this pictograph, and you'll see. So we've already looked at this. So in essence, you could draw from this where it says, in the mountain, remember, it describes a mountain rising up from the ground and is fixed, it's inanimate. In other words, it sits on high, you could say. So the meaning we draw from there, the contextual meaning is seated on high. Okay, going to the next one. Of Judah. And that means praised. So in context, we can say it means and saying, and worthy to be praised. All right. Then it begins with Bezer. And it says, and on the other side. Now it's interesting. Look at the pictograph for what has been translated as on the other side. Now, yes, and block your children's ears. That is the seed of a man. And the next describes the flow. It also talks about blood. And then the other combination of three pictographs over there. And so what the first set of pictograph means, the first two together, it talks about being firm, kind, more accurately, love. Sure, it is the idea, watches, of strength through the blood. Then the second set of pictographs, the three on the right, this is what they mean. The crossing over or passing through a land of water to gain access to the side beyond. So put together that sentence that says, and on the other side, considering the original meanings and how it was written, in context, this is what it's actually saying. Made certain by his blood. Okay. Now, just stay with me. If it's confusing, I'll make it all make sense in a moment. All right. Then it says, Jordan, and Jordan means descender, someone who goes down, descender. And so, in context, what this is saying to us is, we become the descenders. Okay. Then, looking at the next one, then it says, by Jericho, and it means it's moon in the dark. So you could say of darkness in contextual meaning. Then looking at the next one, eastward. And there's the pictograph for eastward. So you can see it means a lot more than just eastward. And what that pictograph depicts together is the rising of the sun in the eastern horizon. In other words, light begins to shine into the light. And so in the contextual interpretation, you can say, it is saying to us, into the light. Okay. Then it goes on and it says, they assigned, and there's the pictographs there. Look at that. I mean, if we look at they assigned, we don't think much of it. But look at the pictograph. It has the seed, the cross, a seed, the cross, the leader. I mean, it is so in-depth and awesome. I wish I had time to go through all of this. Now, here's what they mean. The first three, the two seeds and the cross. A wide application meaning to give. Put, deliver, made, set, up, lay, grant, suffer, yield, bring, cause, utter, send, recompense, appoint, show. You can see how deep the meanings are. That's what's multidimensional. And then the second set of pictographs, in this case, it means the arrival of one to the mark, 
as, watch this, as you is an individual who has arrived to me. In other words, you make a transition to arrive to the other person. You become someone else, in other words. An agreement or covenant by two where a sign or mark of the agreement is made as a reminder to both parties. I mean, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is so deep. But in context, in, in context, this is how we can interpret this to be saying to us. The simple phrase they assigned, it's actually saying to us, through His new covenant and gift of salvation, we receive new identity. And you'll see that it's actually very accurate putting it that way. I know right now you're thinking, how are you drawing all this? It's from the original meaning. But you'll see, I'm giving you the contextual interpretation because that's the hidden message. That's how it makes sense to us. All right, let's have a look at the next one. Bazaar. Bazaar means gold ore. Now, you know, a, a, a ore has gold in it, but it's not pure gold. The gold has to be extracted from that ore, from that you know, piece of rock, if you will. And so, it, it means, Bazaar means gold ore. In other words, in con context, what it's saying to us is where our true value comes from. In other words, our value is in there, it is hidden in there. So, it's talking about us living in our human body, but on the inside, is gold. It's who we are in Jesus, our spirit. That's what it's talking about. Okay, so let's go to the next one. In the wilderness, there's the pictograph. And what that means is an arrangement or placement of something creating order. In other words, in context, what it's saying is through his new covenant. Okay, then the next one. Upon the plain, and there's the pictograph. And in this case, what it means, tie or cord. You know, a cord is made of several strands, but it's made into one. So in context, we are one with Him. It's talking about us becoming one with Him. Okay. Then it says, out of the tribe, and there's the pictograph. Again, out of the tribe doesn't do it justice. So those two pictographs, the first two combine on the left. It means again, firm, kind, or you could say love. Sure, the idea of strength through the blood. My goodness. And then the other pictographs, the two together, the little circle with a squiggle, it means shake or branch. A green branch can then be bent to the desired shape and left to dry. Now, as you know, if you take a branch of a tree, it has, you can leave it on, it has, leave it on, it has liquid in it and it's wet. So, if you take a branch, snap it out of a tree, you can actually bend that branch and then tie it up. And once the branch dries up, because it no longer has life from the tree, it will actually stay in that shape. So, it's talking about bending something and causing it to become something else. And so, drawing from all of that in our context of the message that is hidden in there, we could say what this is saying is, made certain by his blood, because the first part deals with his blood. Okay, and you're going to see this several times now. All right, let's go to the next one. Of Reuben, and that means behold a son. So in context, what this is saying to us is we are sons of God. All right, let's go on to the next one. Ramoth, now this is going to talk about Ramoth, the next city of refuge. And Ramoth which means heights. And in context, then what this is saying is set on high. And you'll see, I'll show it all to you in a moment. Then 
it says in Gilead, and that means rocky region, or you could say, you know, if you put something on that region, you are putting it on the rock because you're putting it on rocks. And so in context, let's put it back on. In context, it means on the rock. Okay, let's go to the next one. Out of the tribe, and there's the pictograph. We've seen this one earlier. And in context, what this is now saying is made certain by his blood. I've already kind of explained this one, so we'll move on and go through that quick. All right, the next one of Gad. And what that means is troop. In other words, a peoples. Okay. And so in context, we can say we are his people. Going on from there. Now talking about Golan, the last one. It says, and Golan, which means their captivity, colon, their rejoicing. In other words, they rejoice in captivity. That's what it's saying. Not in slavery, but just captive in, 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 in rejoicing. So in context, you could say that you can say that it's saying captivated in rejoicing. All right. Let's go on to the next section of that text. In Bashan, so Golan in Bashan. And Bashan means fruitful. In other words, in context, what it's saying is fruitful in him, because that's what this is about. All right. And then the next one, out of the tribe, and we've kind of looked at this one already. So in context, it says made certain by his blood. Right. And then here comes the last one. Of Manasseh. And what that means is causing to forget. So in context, what this is saying is causing us to forget our past. Because remember, it began with time. He brought a cut in time. Okay. All right. So I know that that was a lot. And I hope you're not confused. And I hope that you're not thinking, oh, I don't know. And I know at first I thought, you know, some, someone who doesn't quite understand the depth of what I'm saying is going to say, you take in a... Uh, what is it when you take license on interpretation? Uh, there's a phrase for it, but I'm not. I assure you, this is why I'm, I gave you the specifics. You're going to have the slides on, on available, you know, a day or two from now. You can go and check it out. Those resources are available online. You can go check them out for yourself and determine this for yourself. And I believe that you'll discover even more dimensions of the text in it. But nonetheless, so what I've done now is I've taken those contextual interpretations from the original meanings. And now, in a moment, I'm going to show you a slide. The text is a little smaller, so bear with me, but I needed to put it all in one screen. Now I'm going to show you the contextual interpretation we've looked at of each city of refuge in order. And then you'll see how together they all bring about one specific meaning, the type and shadow of Jesus, how each city describes an aspect of redemption in Jesus and how together they give us a picture of redemption in Jesus, which is the heart of the city of refuge, finding refuge in Jesus. Okay, you ready? Here it comes. Watch this. Everything I've shown you all put together now. Watch this. And on the right there, you'll see I've got the names of the cities of refuge in order. Okay. So that's what each city means. So every single city had an aspect of the overall picture. Okay, here it is. Set apart to redeem the Holy One from among them, rising as their head with wrestling. 
in other words, humanity. With the cross on his back and shoulder, their redemption set to succeed. After his conquest, we will behold him with praise for our restored relationship with God, who is seated on high and worthy to be praised. Made certain by his blood, we become the descenders of darkness into the light. Through his new covenant and gift of salvation, we receive new identity where our true value comes from. Through his new covenant, we are one with him, made certain by his blood, we are sons of God. Set on high on the rock, made certain by his blood, we are his people. Captivated in rejoicing, fruitful in him, made certain by his blood, causing us to forget our past. In other words, who we were in fallen Adam. And sinful Adam. <laughs> Isn't that powerful? Isn't that just awesome? I mean, I, I can feel the anointing. I can sense the anointing right now. My knees are barely keeping me up. It is just so awesome and so powerful. And you know, oftentimes how I know that the heart of God is about to be conveyed in a message is by the attacks I face during the week. And you know, I'm... I'm <laughs> I don't always enjoy saying this kind of thing. But this week, I mean, the attack was just crazy on me. It was almost like evil forces were trying to stop me from sharing this message with you. I know that I know in my heart, this is the heart of God. And if you look at the message of every single one of those cities, as they go in order, as God gave them in order, each of them conveying an aspect of the gospel of redemption in Jesus. And as you come to an end, you get an overall picture of the wonderful redemption in Jesus. Now I want to encourage you, when this is available on our website, a day or two from now, go and get the slides, have a look at them, watch us again, listen to it again, go through it in detail, go check it out yourself. It is, <laughs> what a blessing. I told Helena, I think it was Tuesday, when I was kind of finalizing and putting it together, you know, I'm kind of midway in, in doing that. I said to her, I am so excited about Sunday. I believe that this is just going to take our faith, our confidence and trusting God to a different level. Because that is what we have in Jesus, our refuge. This wonderful redemption where we are secure and locked in. Amen. Praise God, praise God. I know I said a lot, I showed you a lot. That's why you need to go back through it. But nonetheless, the message is there, praise God. Amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. I mean, the anointing is so strong, I can sense it right now. In actual fact, I sense in my heart that there is someone or someones who have been doubtful about their certainty in Jesus and just certainty whether He's there for them. And I sense that today God has just set you free from all that doubt, from unbelief and so forth. And just a new confidence has come in your heart. I mean, just to think that the time that it took, the resources it took to build these cities, what they went through throughout that time, and it's all a type and shadow to show you and me, this is what you have in my son. Here's my message to you through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry, 
or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.